25% discount on all Herbalife products when you do affiliate marketing with me. Find me on social media, links are down below. Enough of the intro, let's get to the video. Sweet, sweet sounds from the holy grail of motoring. And with that car behind me, you know, be my allegiance lies. And with the cats Mikhail is wearing, you know, where his allegiance lies. Now, <laughs> uh, before we begin, um, I've heard many variations. Uh, I've heard Chantal call him Mikhail. So it's clear that up because I've been calling him Mikhail for the longest time. And this is the first opportunity I've had since realizing maybe I should correct myself if I should. Well, you are you are a lot closer to the correct pronunciation. It is Mikhail, um, so Michael, but the Russian spelling and pronunciation. So it's Mikhail. So you're actually one of the few comedians whom I'm friends with that gets it um, okay. quite close or at least accurate enough. So that's definitely... Yay! Yay! Points for me! Points that are going to be taken down after Mikhail gets into me for supporting Ford. <laughs> so, let's start this podcast. Um, where did the connection with motoring begin? Um, <clears throat> well, I, my, my dad, when he was a child, started collecting uh, model cars. Um, and it, obviously back then it was a lot easier to, to, to buy Corgi toys and Dinky toys and models of yesteryear. Um, so he started collecting and um, also grew up with Lesney match, Matchbox um, as a child. And through high school and university, sporadically he would continue collecting um, if he found something that tickled his fancy. And then obviously when I was born, um, I think I was three months old, I received my two first Matchbox. It was a Ford Bronco 2 uh, um, and a Jeep Cherokee um, caravan and motorcycle set, which I still have to this very day um, in my collection and on my display case. And then shortly thereafter, I got a Mercedes-Benz Gelindewagen or a G-Wagon. Uh, which I still have till this very day and then obviously my model car collection grew and obviously as a child I was my dad raised me that you have even when it comes to play cars things like Hot Wheels and Marjorette and Matchbox 
if you collect and play with them at least five a decent reputable brand that actually has some detail and is made from die cast and not plastic and then when i was seven we moved to the uk and in the uk if you're collecting model cars it's an absolute gold mine flea markets and boot sales and there's a hobby shop at there's at least two hobby shops in every small town um so it made collecting easier so i i actually made the the mental switch to collecting when i was seven obviously i still played with them but the, the idea of having them in a display case that people could see them mm. at seven between let's say three months old and seven years old yes i got hot wheels and margaret and matchbox um but they were to play with which they are made to do originally but they was i still grew up with call it proper die cast cars and the model car basically just snowballed into everything else i have every single car magazine ever published since 1960 um i have a speed and sound collection that is about 16 years in the making uh my father and i have a a, a, a collection of mercedes-benz that we equally own of five cars i'm blessed with a wife that has two cars that i one was a bucket list car i always wanted to drive um, she has a 1986 Volkswagen Jetta CLI 1.88 valve, um, unmolested, hasn't been modified, hasn't been lowered, doesn't have a ridiculous sound system in it. The car is extremely original, has a full service history. Um, and then I'm busy restoring, um, which she will one day inherit, a 1986 Land Rover 109 Series 1 uh, Bucky, which I'm restoring all by myself. Um, and obviously it's just snowballed the computer games I played as a child and even now as an adult majority of them are racing games um, most of my most of my favorite movies are driving movies um, as luck would have it gone in 60 seconds the remake the Nicolas Cage one we are used to is my favorite movie of all time um, the original 1976 gone in 60 seconds is a close second um so i've always i think essentially from birth i've been car mad and it's gone even further one of the one of the small businesses that i do own i buy and sell classic mercedes-benz okay i need to clarify affordable well-maintained but affordable classic mercedes-benz models but i've been able to turn my hobby into a, a side hustle a second income um so i have always been been surrounded by cars or i've always made the point of being around um my greatest passion in life outside of my family and my friends and my faith are cars my love for cars far surpasses my love for stand-up comedy and fishing and football and playing sport it's it's the top one that is the end all you can take everything away from me in the sense of stand-up comedy playing the violin doing drama playing football as long as cars may remain i am absolutely fine with that so excellent and just to clarify a couple of things on my end uh both of us are comedians he explained why his connection started with cars not to over 
cloud if that's a word the podcast because it's about Mikhail I'm doing this podcast because my dad is a racing driver well uh, to be completely honest uh, my dad passed away in 2005 and I have a problem with saying was and is so in my head it's ease I should probably go to therapy and he drove for the longest time he drove Ford and that's why I've been in for Ford no matter what anybody else says about Ford I just that's basically one of the few things that I'm just a staunch supporter of and, and, and the second thing that's on my mind, uh, we're not a hoarder, we're a collector. See, everybody else hoards. When it's cars, we collect. So Exactly. Just to, we don't hoard cars, we collect them. <laughs> yeah, just for clarification purposes. And lastly, I know these podcasts go out and are heard by people in the USA. So here's a quick message for you guys. I'm jealous of you because you guys have NBC. And I saw on the weekend, don't ask me how, they actually have car shows that are auctions. And we don't have that here. If we do, it's at most 10 minutes of a program that goes on to feature Volkswagen jetters that are modified with turbos and trims and neon lights. So this is the only way to start this podcast. I want the purest form of passion into cars. So back over to Mikhail. I've hogged this for long enough. Um, this is for everybody that think I can qualify as an ASMR artist. There you go. Uh, so you're doing collections with Mercedes Benz. Is that a, a I don't know if I want to call it a heritage thing or I don't know, maybe if you get the gist, something that's passed down no, through it's, generations. It's, no. I was never a Mercedes-Benz guy, ever, ever, when I was, when I was growing up. Um, I, growing up, even up until my very, very early 20s, I viewed Mercedes-Benz owners in the same way I still view BMW owners and drivers. Um, I grew up in a Volkswagen home. I only knew Volkswagen. Um, and from a Formula One point of view, I'd been a Ferrari supporter since 1996 when I was five years old and Michael Schumacher signed for Ferrari and even told this day 24 years later I'm still a Ferrari fan how this came about is my dad stays abroad and that's obviously a different story for a different day my dad comes and visits once a year and before he actually owned proper property here there's a classic car dealer in Somerset West and we would always just go and have a look they had a 19... 64 Ford Galaxy for sale for quite a good price and we were considering it Um, but in the end we decided "Ah, it's not a smart move at that time I was actually working as a salesman at a a car dealership my first occupation out of university as luck would have it and we decided against it but when I started working for the dealership my 
former employer had a 1977 Mercedes-Benz 280S. For those anoraks, that is a W116 Series S-Class. And he had it for sale for 30,000 Rand. And it was very well kept, it had 166,000 kilometers on the clock. It was it was a it was the small engine version of the Idi Amina Mercedes. Everyone is familiar with that style of S class because most of your infamous dictators, especially in Africa, at some stage owned one of them. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So I phoned my dad, international call. Like I know we were looking at buying a classic car, and it's not really what we into, yeah. but yeah. the price is good. The car's in a great condition. It has a bit of history to it. Um, how would we have a look at this? And we ended up buying the car. Um, sadly, four weeks later, after we purchased the car, I wrote it off. I fell asleep behind the steering wheel. Um, so it was a short-lived time. But I had grown to love Mercedes-Benz in four weeks. I had gone 23, going on 24 years of not caring about Mercedes-Benz to falling in love with the brand in four yeah. weeks and after the accident i sold my first car which i'm actually still sad about because you, i believe you shouldn't sell your first car um, yeah, but yeah. i did and i bought a 1998 mercedes-benz c200 elegance w202 uh, which i still have six years later and i love the car to bits it's probably the mercedes-benz that will never go down in history as being important it's mercedes-benz that will never ever grow in value even 60 years down the line they will still probably be worth about three rand on a good day but they are great cars and it's still mercedes-benz and it's still an absolute dream to drive it um and yeah then we replaced the car i sadly wrote off with a 1985 mercedes-benz 280 se w126 so still an s class but a generation later um, which I still have in the collection of cars. I've been in the collection for now six years. Um, and then it grew. And then we, about two years later, we bought a 1984 Mercedes-Benz 200 uh, with a very rare blue cloth interior, um, a W123. And then at the end of last year, we bought a 1998 Mercedes-Benz SLK 230 compressor, um, a R1. 70 and then i forgot i can't believe i forgot that in 2017 2016 2016 2017 uh we also bought a 1977 mercedes-benz 450 slc um, and i yeah i've just fallen in love with mercedes-benz from strength to strength i am a very very proud member of the mercedes-benz club of south africa i take part in as many events as my wallet allows um and i just enjoy mercedes-benz now what people don't understand is just because because i'm a mercedes-benz fanatic doesn't mean i don't love and appreciate other cars that's not true yeah um the fact that my wife i'm married to someone that owns a car that was on my bucket list to drive um uh, my dream car of all things is a 1986 to 1990 Toyota Hilux 2.4 diesel single cab long wheelbase, either in 4x2 or 4x4. That's my dream car. That is the ultimate for me. Uh, my dad owned one when I was nine years old, and I fell in love with it, and I still want to own one. 
Um, and it's not because I'm Afrikaner or whatnot. It's just purely because since the age of nine, I think, well, I thought and I still do, that the Toyota Hilux 2.4 diesel is the most rugged, manly thing you can own. And I want one. So, and then, for example, Eleanor behind you, 1967 Shelby Mustang GT500e with the 427 um, V8. Not the 428, it's not a Cobra jet. The Cobra jet came out in 1968. The 427 is a 1967 only, and it has a four-barrel carburetor on it. I'm still in love with Eleanor. I fell in love with Eleanor when I was nine years old, uh, or ten years old, and I'm still in love with Eleanor. Um, it's just Eleanor's no longer my dream car. It's very high up on the list, but it's no longer my dream car. Um, and there's cars I would love to own. Either I would love to buy one and enjoy it for three, four weeks and resell it. For example, I would love to own and resell a Fiat Uno Turbo. Because I thought, I think they're little pocket rockets. Um, my you first car... Yeah, my first car was a, and people are going to laugh, and I love the car, and if I ever find the opportunity to buy that car back, I will. I had a Cherise Pink 1997 Nissan Sentra debut with a 1.4 litre twin cam, 16 valve engine, four cylinder, and I modified the living hell out of it. I made 93 kilowatt on the wheels out of a 1400, mm. and I still got 14 point... <laughs> And I still got 14.5 kilometers to a liter fuel consumption. Um, and I loved that car. It was the first car my mom bought when my parents got divorced. Uh, that car basically drove me to primary school and high school. Um, I was okay. even con I was actually considering driving my that car to my matric farewell. I didn't care. It was a cool car. <laughs> um, and if I can, I'll, re I'll buy her back. Yeah, yeah. The owner lives in Strand, so every now and then I do see the car and I get a bit teary-eyed. Um, so I do love, I do love other cars. Um, just obviously Mercedes-Benz is the brand, as a brand, I love the most in general. I still love Ferrari, but let's be honest, a, a well-priced classic Mercedes-Benz is more attainable to for me than a Ferrari. I would love to own one because I've loved Ferrari since I was six years old. But a Mercedes-Benz is a bit more attainable. Not by it, it's still it's even a classic Mercedes-Benz that a good classic Mercedes-Benz you're starting still starting at 40, 45,000 rand. Now on the one hand that's a lot of car for very little money, but on the other hand 40, 45,000 rand is still a lot of money if you don't have it. But it's a bit more attainable. Um, I don't like new cars to start off with. I will never own a car bought after 2000 ever. I'm not interested. I really don't want I to. I love that. I love that. So, I like old cars. I like chrome. I like lots of steel. I like a car that has very little computers. That's why I love W202s. I actually wrote an article. I Every now and then I write short journalist um, pieces about cars. Um, on, I'll link uh, it down below. Um, on Opera News Hub. Um, and I wrote an article about the W202 Mercedes because it's the most unloved or unrecognized Mercedes. And what I love about a W202 is I have modern technology in the car, but it's still bought like a Mercedes from the 70s and the 80s, which is great. 
because I have a car that's 22 years old that comes standard with real leather interior, Get electric windows all around, Get heated mirrors, heated rear window, heated front screen, Get ABS, traction control, power steering, air conditioning, climate control. Yes, it has a it still has a radio with a cassette and a six CD shuttle, but I still get a I still every single radio station I cruise to, I get a readout. There are so many things I get on this car that you would still not get on a 2020, let's say for example, a Datsun Go or something. <laughs> Not saying a Datsun Go is a bad car, it's a very good A to B car. If you need something from A to B, a Datsun Go, it, it does what it needs to do. Um, but that's what I love about a W202. I've got this famous Mercedes-Benz bold quality from the 70s and the 80s. But I still have modern conveniences in a car that's 22 years old. Which is great. That's why I'm... And older cars are just bold bits and I will stand by that. So, I don't want to own a new car really not interested even if i can't afford it i'm really not interested i don't think owning a new car makes you a lot more special than me um, what i like about driving an old mercedes-benz is if i arrive with a mercedes-benz at a nice restaurant with the missus more people are going to notice the old mercedes-benz that's probably no no it is for example no, my, I know, I know what you're going with. My W126, my 1985 Mercedes-Benz 280SE, on the best of days, it's about a 50,000 Rand car. Because it's the smallest engine model, um, it's the lowest spec with regards to what you were able to get in the 1980s in a Mercedes-Benz. But I'm, it, I'm going to still feel a bit more special arriving at a very nice restaurant than you with your 300,000 Rand mid-range Mercedes-Benz C-Class. Because every other second guy at the restaurant has a mid-range Mercedes-Benz C-Class or BMW 3 Series or Audi A4. And that's fine. He's not going to make a 3 Series any better. So, for example, if I arrive in a slightly old Mercedes-Benz and that old S-Class is a bloody battle barge, car is six meters long and nearly two meters wide um you're going to know that i've arrived and it's and the nice thing i love about mercedes-benz is it's subtle yeah nice well, mercedes-benz has always had it does have that subtlety if a guy arrives with a bmw you know he's arrived not simply just because oh, of his yeah. oh, dear. um and even with audi owners you know they've arrived mercedes-benz you notice them but it's, there's no, you don't have this stupid bombastic fanfare around, which I love. Um, and like I said, in general, older cars are just a lot cooler. So <laughs> uh, I'm gonna allow all the shots that are available at BMW drivers because that's what they deserve. <laughs> so, um, it's a shame mentioned... because there's actually some cool BMWs out there. There's some really special models. It's just the owners, yeah. Yeah, special cars and special drivers too, just in different ways. So, yeah. you you mentioned that you won't uh, buy a car after 2000. So, here's a question that I didn't have scripted before this because it just came up in the last 10 minutes. Um, do you think there is nostalgic value 
in any car of the 2000s the way the cars before the 2000s? I think I think that there are exceptions. Um, I definitely do. Obviously, if you look at something like Ferrari or Lamborghini, they will always be special. But you pay the premium for that special. Um, and even the nostalgia. If you if you can afford five million rand and upwards, and you buy something like a, a, a Rolls Royce Dawn or a Rolls Royce um, Phantom, there's still yeah. that nostalgia because it's a Rolls oh, okay. Royce. Um, the same with a Bentley. It's still a Bentley. There's still it's still this very old world. The, the sun will never set on the English Empire feeling that you get from owning a Bentley or a Rolls Royce. And I think to a lesser extent, that's still very very valid to something like a Jaguar. Um, BMW, certain BMW models, especially your M range, not your M packs, not you people that buy a 318 and then plaster with BMW Motorsport parts to look like an M3 or M4. I'm talking about normal people that have lots of money and buy the M cars. Um, for example, I have read a lot of articles about the, the BMW M2 competition. Where a lot of people say that it reminds them of the original E30 BMW M3 uh, that was released in 1986. Um, so yeah, I think in certain cases, modern cars or new cars, contemporary cars, can have a sense of nostalgia. Um, I think that the um, even something like the Volkswagen Polo Vivo GT with a normal 1.6 liter four cylinder gave a lot of people that. Mark 1 Volkswagen Golf GTI GTS feeling when they drove it. That whole thing about driving a snappy little front wheel drive car and going around the corner and the inside rear wheel lifts and because it's front wheel drive. So I do yeah. believe that that contemporary cars um, can have this feeling of nostalgia, this harking back to a previous time without trying too hard to do it. Um, but it's not all of them. Um, I don't think if you purchased a, okay, for 2021, the, the new Mark 8 Volkswagen Golf is being released. I don't think if you buy one and you are in your late 50s, early 60s, you're going to have the same nostalgic feeling you had when you bought your first Mark 1 Volkswagen Golf in 1976. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so they are certain cars but not through the range i don't think if you buy a brand new 2021 mercedes-benz s-class you're gonna get the same feeling from a 1981 mercedes-benz s-class that forms of nostalgia won't won't, won't be there um, for example i think the french are a good example of this um, citrons of today aren't as weird and as quirky and as special as Citroens from the 30s until the 60s and even the 70s. Citroens were always quirky in this from the 1930s to the 1970s. Citroens were always quirky. They were always odd, but there was this there, there was this French flair and art about them. Um, for yeah. example, the Citroen DS, I still argue, is the greatest panty dropping car in history. No matter what you own, you will never appear more attractive than you will in a Citroen DS. And I believe that to this day, but there's no 2020 Citroen equivalent to that. There's yeah. no modern DS or XM for that. Um, so, for example, that's that type of nostalgia I don't think you'll ever find in the Citroen again. Uh, 
because their whole design ethos is not what it was. The same with Chevrolet. Um, most of our parents grew up, um, obviously I do, obviously at the time it was more so for white families and people of color because of the time. But I remember yeah. my parents and grandparents grew up with um, Sonskane, Braaflees and Chevrolet. Um, Chevrolet was your lower middle class, middle class, reliable family car you used to tow the caravan on December holidays. That was, that was Chev. That was Chevrolet. That was your going on a family trip, caravan, three children, playing Aris here on a long road trip. That was, that was the thing of Chevrolet. And the Chevrolet that we got now, okay, obviously before they left South Africa again, the Chevrolet we got from, let's say, 2002 until 2017, 2018, that was not a shame. Not saying they had bad products. They had some really nice cars. I think a Chevy Spark is a great little car. Um, the Chevrolet Spark 1.2, the last model that we see everywhere now. It's a great little car. It drives really, really well. Um, and for 1.2 liter, it doesn't struggle at 120 in first gear. It's a great little car, but it doesn't evoke that same... I don't think I would be able to put my grandparents in a brand new Chevrolet and they would have that same feeling of nostalgia. Um, and I think the same goes for Ford. Um, the nostalgia of a Ford Cortina 3-litre S on XR6 um, or the Mark III, the big six, the XLE Cortinas, you're not going to find that in a, in, a, in a modern Ford. That, in fact, Ford doesn't even make the Mondeo, Mondeo anymore. So Ford doesn't even actually have a proper equivalent at the moment in any case. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of brands have moved away from some really cool things and I think they have missed out on some nostalgia. <laughs> find the pot of gold that is in the rainbow to buy Eleanor behind Eleanor what is there any real danger of a car becoming extinct not if the wife of the original writer of Gone in 60 Seconds has anything to say about it um, I love Eleanor's The Car, and I love the name and the movie, and both movies, but the wife of the original creator of Gone in 60 Seconds, the 1976 one, she owns the right to the name Eleanor. Um, and she has hit so many people with cease and desists if they bold Eleanor replicas. And they call it inner law which is dude it's a oh. name yeah so for example i can board an eleanor i can have one there's a there's one company she allows to do it that she has an agreement with in the us but if i find a great custom shop and i have them board me an eleanor i can do everything that's been done but for example i can't do that color scheme so it would have to be, for example, blue with white GT stripes or red with white GT stripes. And I can't have yeah. the GT, I can't have GT 500E as the moniker. I can have GT 500, but at no point in the car can be called Eleanor. Yeah. Um, which is sad. On the other hand, if you want to take a 1968 to 1969 Dodge Charger and turn it into the General Lee, no one cares. Uh, which is great. I have a soft spot for Mopar. 
is Mopar bought some really, really nuts things. Um, same with an 18 van. 18 van. If you find a 1983 GMC Vandura, you can turn it into an 18, 18 van without any problems. But little Mrs. Eleanor has a problem with it, which is a bit sucky, to be honest. Thank you for getting to the point where we mention the A-Team van and get away from any semblance of the O.J. Simpson Bronco. Ah, okay. You know what's the sad so, thing? That's actually a cool car. That yeah, Ford is. Bronco is it awesome. Is. Um, when we were away this weekend with family, we were in Montague and there is um, a... There's a person who stays in town and we walk past the house that has that gen, that that series of Ford Bronco. Okay, not in white. Um, it was actually a very, <laughs> very, it was a very, very nice Ford um, red, um, Ford Fire Engine red. But it's a cool looking short wheelbase SUV. It's actually really cool looking. I would love to own an actual Ford Bronco, especially that generation, because I love that big fat bar grills they came out with. But it's the O.J. Simpson Bronco, um, so it kind of it does kind of suck. Um, I probably still. There's a, a V8 engine in it, right? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a 4.6 modular V8. It's the same it's the same V8 you found in the SN95 series Ford Mustang. So you're. 1993 to 2004 Ford Mustang. Basically, your bubble-shaped Ford Mustang. It's the same. It's the same 4.6 modular V8. Um, it also came out with a V6 supercharged mode. Obviously, less power and torque, but you also had a V6 option on the supercharger. This might be a lazy question, considering I'm speaking with a historian of cars, amongst other things. Is the Akari make that went well below the benchmark that went before? <sighs> well, in the US, the fourth Thunderbird, uh, because here by 1998, everyone was starting to do the retro styling thing. So you had the Volkswagen New Beetle, of which my mom has owned two. Um, yep. The Mini Cooper came out in about 2001, 2002. Um, so the US grabbed onto this and they did the Ford 2003 Ford Thunderbird. It's an extremely beautiful car on the outside. It's not actually badly built, but it has very much the, the Ford parts bin feel on the inside. So the steering will be from one Ford model. The, the switches for um, the windows will be from a, from a different car. So... It, and it felt a bit plastic. Um, and it's sad because it's a really good looking car. And if I have it to have moved to the US, I wouldn't mind owning one because they're not they're not ugly. The only problem is they were a bit slow because you need to remember when Chevrolet released the Corvette in 1953. And the four, first Ford Thunderbird was released in 55. Now, originally the Ford Thunderbird and the Chevrolet Corvette were competitors to one another. But the Ford was came out with a 260 cubic inch V8, where the first Chevrolet Corvette came out with essentially a stove bolt six straight six engine that was very wheezing and asthmatic. 
So when they brought out the 2003 Ford Thunderbird, the argument was never going to be there was going to be a Corvette killer, but it at least needed to have more than 234 horsepower from a really lazy V8 and a very slow automatic gearbox. Um, so in the US, the 2003 to 2005 Ford Thunderbird, definitely. Sadly deserving, but it did so. The 2004 to 2006 Pontiac GTO, I think, was unfair. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I because it's actually that. an amazing muscle car. It's a great muscle yeah. car. It's based on a Holden Monaro. Um, or in our case, we knew this as Chevrolet Lumina SS, the first generation, was exactly the oh, same yeah. as Pontiac GTO. Um, it was just a two-door instead of a four-door. We only got the four-door, obviously. And it was a great muscle car. And because it was a normal Alice 15.7 liter V8, you could modify the absolute crap out of it before it broke. But it was overshadowed by the 2005 Ford Mustang. Um, so it's starting to garner a fan base in the US. People are starting to realize about 16 to 14 years that it's not a bad car. Um, but obviously it won't have the following. Um, that Ford Mustang had and sadly it's a bit unfair because the Pornac, Mast- Ma- Pornac GTO is the first muscle car. It preceded the Ford Mustang which is technically a pony yeah, car is. by yeah. four to six months. And the Pornac GTO, the original GTO, the original GOAT, um, because the nickname for GTO is GOAT, um, had a great following until the early 70s when the fuel crisis killed muscle cars initially. Um, so the 2004-2006 Pontiac GTO was it, it was an unfair death. Um, yeah. So I think that was unfair. And then I don't know. If, I think when the 2005 Ford Mustang came out, I think they started getting it right. They didn't make the mistakes because I saw the Volkswagen New Beetle and the Mini Cooper was quite successful and popular. People loved them. And then they, they'd made the mistake with, 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 or Ford made the mistake with the fourth Thunderbird. And um, Chevrolet had this weird designed um, Chevrolet SSR, which was like a, a drop top bucky. It was supposed to look like a hot rod. And Chevrolet HHR, which was sort of just a hot rod MPV. And then obviously the greatest mistake of retro styling was the Chrysler BT Cruiser. Um, not because if people think it's ugly, it's fine. But the thing is, it tried to do 30s air, uh, 30s Art Deco styling, but it wasn't pulled off properly. And the fact that the whole thing feels extremely plasticky in the inside. Um, hard plastics, like Tupperware hard plastics on the inside. Um, so that one was failed. The first two years, they sold like hotcakes, and then people realized they were but bad. And then they were mostly owned by old people um, because they were most likely alive when the cities was still around. Um, so yeah, the Chrysler PT Cruiser was was a failing. So yeah, there are certain retro stylings that have failed. Um, I think Fiat got it quite right with the 500. I think the Fiat 500 and the Fiat Panda, because the Panda name is also not a new name. It's just new to us. It's been in Europe since the, the late 70s. It's really boxy, small Fiat. Um, I think many people would argue that the Fiat Panda and the Fiat 500, which share underpinnings, saved Fiat and bankrolled Fiat to buy Chrysler. 
And I think it's down to those two cars. So I think the Fiat 500 got it right. I think the Fiat 500 got it right to a bigger extent than if you look on initial release than the Volkswagen New Beetle and the Mini Cooper. Um, so there are definitely wins, um, but there are quite a few in the loss column as well. Um, retro styling, it's shown can be done well, um, but I think it's a very tight rope. Um, it can go either way. There's no, there's no gray areas. It is either successful or it fails. And that's the same with bringing and back the name. This podcast and to bring this podcast full circle, there's no Mustang that will ever reach the bank benchmark of the Mustang behind me. And should I say, should I it's... make the savings? Okay, uh, I'm hearing some sound effects. So somebody, you've, 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 okay. The Eleanor behind you, much of that fame is because of the moon. Um, if I have to be honest, if you gave me that Eleanor, which is essentially a custom, it is a custom, they never left the factory looking that way, and you gave me an, an original 1967 Shelby Mustang GT500, I would take the absolute original over that. But if you want to talk about great Mustangs, you have the 1965 Ford Mustang GT350 that started the whole Shelby thing. Interesting fact, do you know why it's called a GT350? No, why is it called the GT350? Because Carol Shelby's office was 350 feet from the assembly plant, from the workshop. Okay, uh, there goes that phone call to Carol Shelby in 50 years from now. Although Carol Shelby, I'll probably have Passed to away, sadly. wife. Yeah, unfortunately. So the should I make The chicken farmer from Texas. <laughs> the chicken farmer from Texas. Uh, so, so if you Holy Grail 1965 Shelby Mustang GT350. Um, 1969 Ford Mustang Boss 429. It was a, it was a Mustang they bought with honestly a motor too big for it. They had to ship it out to a cost every 429 Boss ever bought had to be shipped out to a separate company because they had to put in other fenders. They had to move the battery box. The brake master cylinder had to be moved. Um, it didn't come with air conditioning because there was no space in the engine bay. Um, or what happened is you could either have the option of power steering or air conditioning because there wasn't space for both. Um, it was an absolute monster and the fact that Ford undersold its horsepower uh, so that you could buy it and put it in a low insurance bracket. It's a 429 Boss Mustang. And if you put it next to an original Shelby GT500 from 67, and even a 69 GT500, it will knock the absolute socks off it. Um, and then something has to be said for the 2003 Ford Mustang SVT Cobra R, which was just batshit crazy. Someone at Ford went, here's cocaine, go have fun. And then they pulled that. <laughs> And that's probably the best way to end this first podcast on cars. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to cover? 
no, not for this podcast. For this podcast, obviously, for future ones, we can get into more topics. Um, oh, okay. okay. No, I think no, no, no. I'll end with no. Eleanor will always be special, but I think the special love we have for the Eleanor behind you is very much a movie magic thing. I think if yeah, movie yeah, magic yeah. has a lot to play in it. Um, because I wouldn't know of the car if it wasn't for that movie. Yeah, I think the same I was think... Fast and Furious with a charger. That's not yeah. actually a charger, but that's for the next podcast. Yeah, no, it's not technically a charger, but it's supposed to be. It's a, it's supposed yeah. to be a 1970 Dodge Charger RT 440. So we have a 440, yeah. 440 Magnum six-pack motor in it, um, originally. Um, but I think Eleanor will always be very top of my dreamless cars because of the movie yeah. magic. Um, yeah. But the General Lee is amazing. It's, it's also, if you want to take movie magic, the General Lee. Um, not, and because I've been binge watching it recently, um, the <laughs> 1967 Chevrolet Chevelle from Supernatural. Um, oh, how, how, did we, how did we go 14 minutes without mentioning that car? Um, we also went without I'm mentioning. Sad now. We also went without I'm mentioning. Yeah, you've got that. You still have the Bumblebee Camaro. Um, you have the A-Team van. You have the Pornac Fiber Trans Am from Knight Rider. Um, you have the Dodge Viper, the first generation Dodge Viper RT-10 from one of my favorite shows, even though it had aged terribly. Viper. Viper. Um, <laughs> Am I, with an unpopular opinion, I didn't like the steel one. I like the blue one. No, I like the RT10. I didn't. I wasn't a big fan of the GTS Coupe, but I think it's because yeah. I started. I started. I watched from day one when they had the RT10. That and the fact the RT10 is absolutely nuts. It doesn't have door handles on the outside. It doesn't have windows. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get this floppy little roof thing that you can't use at more than 100 kilometers per hour. It was an absolutely nuts thing. It wasn't meant to be safe. It doesn't have power steering. It doesn't have ABS. Um, it was a 400 horsepower, 400 newton meters of torque. No, it was more than that. It was about five, 600 newton meters of torque. Eight liter V10 powered muscle car that its purpose in life was to kill you. Um, you need to take into <laughs> account that the block of a Dodge Viper comes out of a truck, not a bucky, a truck. To handle that motor. <sighs> So no, they, they are great movie cars. The Ford Mustang Mach 1 from the first Gone in 60 seconds. You forgot, you talking about Ford, you forgot the Bullet Mustang. Steve McQueen, Bullet, greatest chase scene in movie history. The bad guys are driving a 1968 Dodge Charger RT 426 Hemi, and he's chasing them down in a 1968 Ford Mustang GT390 through the streets of San Francisco. And since we're speaking about cars, I want to leave this for the next podcast that we do, even if we do another podcast. Gone in 60 seconds, uh, the latest one, which is, what, 20 years old by now. I had a problem in watching that. I saw a BMW M5, I think, keep up. It was an E39 BMW 540i. 
and yes, it would is actually it realistic? keep up. Yes, it would actually keep up. Okay. Not um, not necessarily in a straight dead run heat. The BMW would out accelerate it. It will definitely out handle it. It would definitely be a lot more yeah. economical than it. Um, <laughs> but if you had to race it around in a city, or on even if you had to put them next to each other on a racetrack, a proper racetrack with corners and chicanes, the BMW would not only keep up, it would pass it. You still, once again, if, if you take into account when the movie came out, there's still a 30 years difference in technology between that Mustang and the BMW. Yeah, but the Mustang has has disc brakes and all this. Yes, that's fine. It's, it's a custom one. So it will have operated brakes. It will have operated calipers and discs. Possibly a limited slip differential. It will have better suspension. But you're still talking about, if you look at body rigidity, the BMW will have less flex. It will have less body flex. It will be able to put its power down a lot more a lot better and more even um and once again muscle cars in norm in normal circumstances weren't really built to handle around corners you can you can make a muscle car handle with aftermarket suspension and tires and brakes but nine out of ten times a high-powered bmw like the 540i remember that car is only a step below it in five that e39 still car governed at 255 you could push them up to 270 275 without the governor um it would keep up yes in a drag race i would still put my money on the mustang but that's over a quarter mile but if you're talking about around a racetrack or essentially if you look at the movie more of a, a gymkhana-esque scenario in the city the bmw would keep up and in certain cases overtake it so it it's quite realistic. Um, there we have it. We have so many ways to go with the next podcast. If we ever do another podcast, there's honestly so many. There's so many that's happening under that hood behind me that I have no clue about. Even though my dad is was a racing driver, is was an hydraulic engineer is was the jack of all trades in the hydraulic sense i would have no idea where the pistons are and in relation to the pistons the block so that's where we could go for the next podcast ah mikhail thank you for this adventure over the last 20 minutes always a pleasure <sighs> and well will we do another podcast we shall see check his collection of mercedes Benz on that will be on instagram that will be on instagram because twitter is well twitter is whatever you guys think twitter is and this outro is going a bit too long so from the ford me mikhail and everybody from mercedes benz without you there's no me <laughs> <laughs>